all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. Bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Ew, baby. <laughs> I'm Rachel. <laughs> and I'm David. And this is all bad things. <laughs> and that intro was about 13 episodes too I late. I <laughs> know. Well, I didn't. Wait, did I know you were? I did know you, you... were going to do the day that. The music died, but mm-hmm. you did it. So you were the one who did the I intro. I never even thought to do it that way. <laughs> but now we've done it. Now we've done it. Multiple episodes too late, yes. Um, follow- Whatever episode that was. <laughs> I I think you're right Recent? like 10, 10-ish ago. Something like that. <laughs> the, the episodes blur together, much like our days in quarantine. Mm-hmm. Just how it goes. Um, follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook, at allbadthingspod. Email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Very nice. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We pretty much got it down. Um, we ventured out to a craft beer store. We did. With our masks. Yep. Um, and, and hand sanitizer. And hand sanitizer. That is correct. <laughs> um, I was a little, I'm not going to name the store. I was a little disappointed that they weren't wearing masks. Well, I mean, it's it, that's just how it's going to be. Some yeah, people will, yeah. some people won't. I get it, and and like, I forgot mine today when I went out. So that's true. I was one of those people. Maybe they just forgot theirs. Maybe that's the nice thing to consider. I guess. Anyway, <laughs> we're not here for that. <laughs> we have craft beer to talk about in our all beer corner. Um, so yes, we got some nice, fun, crafty beer, and you are drinking one of our seasonal favorites, aren't yes, you? Yes, the Brewprint Coconut Lime Sour. So good. It is delicious. Can I have a Yes. And we were generous and actually left some behind. <laughs> yeah, we, we didn't want <laughs> to them out. We didn't want to be dicks. <laughs> we just took six. I think there were about ten there. Oh, there was way more. Was they it more tons. than that? Yeah. Did they? Okay. That's why I was kind of surprised you wanted to stop at six. I was oh, like, okay. More, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> it is good. It is a good seasonal beer. And it they usually come out with it in like April. It was probably a little late this year, or yeah. probably it went out and nobody noticed because yeah, nobody stores weren't open. Yeah, certain Get stores weren't open. Mm-hmm. And what yeah. doth you be drinking? I this this is going to have a whole corner unto itself. I am drinking with some pretty killer artwork. That is nice by David Paul Seymour. Uh, the one I, and only. <laughs> yes, I am drinking Burial Brewing out of Asheville. Uh, the the name of the the beer is the beginning is after the end. <laughs> I like it. It's pretty hardcore. It's a coffee porter. It mm. is delicious, and I'll read you the can in a second. The can is very poetic, very coffee, huh? Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So this is what it says. This is the back of the can, right? We shall travel along the jagged edge and into the mouth of utter chaos. The blood of sun shall drain from the sky. The chill of the dark unknown shall set in. And in that moment, we shall open our eyes to Genesis. A project... The the band? Shush! I'm doing a dramatic reading. (laughs) A project we always wanted to do spawned through natural evolution of our craft. A prideful venture into 
regeneration. That's <laughs> <laughs> funny. It's uh, very poetic. It's funny. Putting things into regeneration is actually part of my job. Oh, that's like one of the processes our, uh, is regeneration? Our columns, our filter columns have to go through a regeneration process after everything has gone through them. You're going to... Um, it takes about 12 hours. You're going to confuse Emily even more about what you do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Should we mention some more family members? Blow her mind about the family trees some more. <laughs> um, we've had a, a little uptick in new listeners and followers, so hello. Yes. Welcome. If you're new. Yes, welcome indeed. Oh, I meant to... Um, shit, I forgot my phone. Oh, well, we may or may not. Never mind. You meant to forget your phone no. or no? <laughs> no, a newer listener was like, do you guys do Q&As? Because I have some questions for you. And I'm like, well, we did a Q&A. We have once. Yeah. And actually, we did twice. I don't think we ever put the second one out. I don't think we did either. <laughs> there's, lost, there's several lost episodes. But um, I was like, oh, we'll just go ahead and throw them at the end of this episode. So... If we might, <laughs> we might do that. We'll probably take a break at some point. Yeah, so I'll, I'll go to retrieve phone. said phone. Exactly. And have a smoke break. Mm-hmm. For you. Yes, for me. Uh, for the record, yes. Yeah. All right. Um, any banter we can annoy people with to get more one-star reviews? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, this episode is actually very... Um, you said it was a famous one. No. No? No, I said it was an historical one. Oh, oh no. okay. I actually don't think it's... I have never heard of this before. That doesn't mean it's not famous, but it's sure. just... I think of that... historical as like a synonym for famous. No, I mean just like having happened a oh, okay. while back. Okay. Yeah. I get what you're saying, though. Yeah. Um, no, not historic so much in its scope as just it was a long time ago. Okay. 200 years ago, roughly. That's uh, we've gone way farther back than that. We have, but I would say that's still a long time ago. Uh, but there's like documentation from 200 years ago. Well, uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah. So, uh, so I did not do the research for this. Mm. Um, our listener Angela did. Nice. She did an amazing job because she did. I I love our listeners who do research and are like. Write it up like a literal research paper with like footnotes and <laughs> retrieval dates. I'm just like, holy shit, that's amazing. Like we're not grading you. <laughs> we're not, but they're doing it correctly. They are. They're doing it way more efficiently than we are. <laughs> and way more way more correctly in every possible way. Yes. So Angela did a really kick-ass job on this. I'm sure so. she did. Um, and it's also interesting because... Almost simultaneously, like I think it was just within a couple days of each other. So Angela sent the research, and then our listener Jeremy emailed us suggesting this exact topic. It was meant to be. I know. Now even our listeners are like um, <laughs> are in synchronizing. Sim- are in symbiosis. <laughs> yes, are uh, uh, um, uh, psychically connected now. So that's pretty funny. Our listeners have ESP. Yes. Um. Oh, by the way, uh, feel free to join our All Bad Things pod uh, discussion group. We discuss many things, um, including um, giant chrysanthemum corsages from Texas. Yes, we... Yeah. Thank you, Stephanie, for introducing <laughs> us to those. It's very interesting. Very interesting. All right. So, this is the story of the new Madrid earthquakes. Okay. All right. 
So between December 16, 1811, and February 7, 1812, three major earthquakes and dozens of aftershocks struck the center of the United States. The death toll from these earthquakes is unknown because of the poor record keeping of the time. I mean, literally, like not even an estimate. So who knows? Yeah, nobody know who lived on that land or who was there. Yeah. If it's this early in the 1800s, then that part of the United States has not been settled yet. We'll get into that. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. Well, it has been, just not by us. Meaning the white people. Well, yes, that would be that would be correct. Um, now, uh, there's a lot of eyewitness accounts in this story because that's basically the only that's records crazy. available. Yeah, um, and so Angela does give a trigger warning, and it's good for um, antiquated language to refer to the indigenous peoples of the area. Sure. Um, when she gave the the trigger warning initially, I was like, uh oh, if she. If, if there's stuff that has the N-word in it, I'm not saying it, but it's more uh, the I-word, I guess. <laughs> but um, anyway, we've come a long way with how we correctly refer to indigenous peoples. Anyway. All right. Main sources were uh, Wikipedia, Panther Across the Sky by David Yarrow, Travels in the Interior of America in the Years 1809, 1810, and 1811 by John Bradbury, Letter to Lorenzo Dow by Eliza Bryan, extract from the Journal of Daniel Bettinger by Daniel Bettinger, period presidents, and the U.S. Geological Survey. Oh. You can tell it Which was Which I think we've used for every single time we've dealt earthquake, with an earthquake. probably. Yes. You can tell I didn't do this research because there's books that are cited as sources. What are those? Books. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So lots of geography history, all the fun corners in uh, in this week's episode. So, where is New Madrid? Have you ever heard of it? I have not I, prior to this. I really thought that they were talking that she was... Spain? Yes. <laughs> like, there was, like, a suburb called New Madrid. <laughs> it would make sense. It also makes sense that that's a name of a place in the U.S. because how many times were towns in the United States named after New and then like New Amsterdam. New Oh, York, I was going to say especially New. in the northeast it's all over the mm-hmm. place. Yeah. So very similar here. Yeah. So New Madrid is a small town in the extreme southeastern part of the state of Missouri. Mm. Missouri. 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 Yeah, I I get that in in coming up with the abbreviations for the states they couldn't do like well, they couldn't. Mississippi, Missouri. I was going to say, MI is M- Michigan. MS, I think, is Mississippi. Mississippi. And MO, M-O is Missouri. M- Mo. But that's quite, quite a few letters before you get to the O, though. Aren't they the. Is it the Show Me State? It is. I was going to say the Look at Me State. Uh, defending Stanley Cup champions from oh, the St. Louis being the Blues. St. Louis Blues. And they that might just be the case until. Who knows when? Who the fuck knows? Two years, maybe? I'm I'm starting to... Uh, that's why I've been playing a lot of NHL 20 lately, because oh. it's, it's the only thing I have when it comes to hockey season. <laughs> said that so sad. Because I am sad. <laughs> Please don't take away my joy. <laughs> it's the closest I can get to hockey. <laughs> Virtual. I haven't, I haven't said anything. No, no, no. I, no I'm, I'm just saying I'm like... Oh, gotcha. I'm like, I, I'm really starting to miss it quite Aww. a bit. Aww. Well, you can wear my Carolina Hurricanes mask. Or I can I watch the Korean baseball organization, which <laughs> I've honestly thought of doing. 
<laughs> oh, the German uh, soccer league kicked off, no pun intended, uh-huh. today as well, just without fans. Okay, yeah. Um, NASCAR had the, a race. The, Bund- the Bundesliga, I think is what it's called. Bundesliga. The Bundesliga. The Bundesliga. Um, the Na- NASCAR had a race, they did. my dad said, um, also without... This past weekend. Yeah. yeah. Also without, well... Yes, this past weekend for when we're recording, not for when this yeah. comes out. But, um, but I but with NASCAR, that's the one fans or the one fan. That's the one instance where fans really don't make a difference because right. there's no way you could possibly hear them in those right. cars. <laughs> it's true. I mean, there's no way. That's true. That's true. <laughs> it's it's just a loss of revenue, I would imagine. Oh because God, of the, yeah. Um, although I will say, like as opposed to other sports, like. Team sports where people are interacting, contact sports, like that puts obviously puts all the players at risk of exposure to each other, mm-hmm. plus all the coaches, whatever, whatever. It can go, it's a big vector. Whereas um, NASCAR, everyone, the Everyone's pit literally and the teams can be completely isolated <laughs> yes, from each can. other. So it's a little different. Well, until the pit crew has to work <laughs> on a car, but anyway. But then that's only their car, right? True. Aren't, it are, is. Yeah. Aren't there dedicated teams there to each driver? Yeah. You can tell I watch so much NASCAR <laughs> or any type of racing. It's quite an operation. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean I do not I do not mm-hmm. scoff at the skill. No, just everything else. About, <laughs> no. Um, all right, so Missouri is in the central United States, <laughs> and New Madrid is very close to the border where the states of Missouri, Arkansas, Tennessee, and Kentucky meet along the Mississippi yeah. River. Uh, by the way, I believe Kansas City does have a NASCAR track. Okay. Yeah, it's in Missouri. <laughs> so I'm just throwing that out there. Alrighty. <laughs> they once had an NHL team too. Kansas City. What was there? The Kansas City Scouts. Scouts. Who became the Colorado Rockies? Who became the New Jersey Devils? Oh, I still don't get any of that, but okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I did. I actually did not realize that. If you had asked me, like, name the states near Missouri. It would. I wouldn't have immediately come up with Arkansas, Tennessee, and Kentucky. I definitely would have come up with Tennessee. Yeah, that's maybe. the only. Uh, yeah, that's kind of it. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I, not I would super... have. Thro- I would have thrown in Oklahoma probably. Like his. It's probably around it's there. Close. It's just on the other side. It's close enough. <laughs> Texas. Whatever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're great at geography. <laughs> so the town is down in the river valley between the Ozark Mountains of the. Of Ozark fame, mm-hmm. the Netflix show, uh, on the floodplain. And it's 42 miles or 68 kilometers southwest of Cairo, Illinois. I'm not sure that that helps me know exactly where it is, but at any rate. I was also thinking Egypt. Oh, it's close to Cairo, right? Egypt. <laughs> and has a current population of only 3,116 people. It's a small southern Missouri town, I guess. <clears throat> Uh, oh, well, it's a pretty standard small Midwestern Ozark River town with typical weather. Hot summers, chilly, but not too cold winters. Yeah. I, I'm willing to check it out. The Ozarks? Yeah, yeah. you know. I'm, looks looks really gorgeous. Yes, yes. Um, part of me also kind of wants to go to Branson one day to just make fun of it, but... That would be interesting. Branson, Missouri. Branson, Missouri. Is, hey, I'll, I'll do it. It's essentially like the Christian <laughs> Vegas. I, I was going to say like the Christian Hollywood is what mm. I was going to say. Or the Christian um, all of Nashville, those. Grand Ole Opry. All, all of those them. things <laughs> rolled into one. 
New Madrid's location on the Mississippi River gave it more importance during the settlement period of Missouri's history than it has had in, in more modern times. That makes sense. Waterways, always, always incredibly important, especially back in the old days. It was founded in 1778. That's actually very early on in the country's development. Uh, yeah, because the Declaration of Independence at that point is only two years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in, it's as old as the country, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. In what was then called Spanish Louisiana. At that time, there were very few... Well, because it was owned by, by Spain. Spain mm-hmm. held the territory. No, I'm just... Oh, okay, I, okay. I, yeah. <laughs> you just seemed shocked at that. No. <laughs> okay. At that time, there were very few roads or trails, and so travel through the area was usually undertaken by boat, which led to most of the early towns being founded along the course of the Mississippi. U.S. settlers were welcomed into Spanish Louisiana, provided they agreed to a couple of stipulations. One, to become Spanish citizens. <laughs> so, Okay. And two, live under a Spanish-appointed official, Colonel William Morgan. <laughs> or, that, that sounds like a, that's a very boring name for a Spanish official. William Morhan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's better. Guillermo Morhan. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really disappointed in I this know. guy's name. <laughs> I think he was just Spanish-appointed. It's not that he was Spanish himself. They just appointed him. Oh, well, even so, you got to get a you got to find somebody with a better name. <laughs> we'll just call You're, him Morhan. <laughs> nobody's taking William Morgan seriously. <laughs> Morgan was a Revolutionary War veteran from oh, New Jersey. Well, well, then maybe they are. Okay. He's a Jersey boy. <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> and succeeded in getting more than 2,000 people to settle in the New Madrid region. That's probably why they appointed him, because he could get people to settle. They needed people. In 1800, Spain traded the territory to... The United States? No, not yet. It was Spanish Louisiana, then it became what? Louisiana. Well, we made the Louisiana purchase from... Was it France? France! That's right. Oui, oui. Yeah. Mais oui. Bonjour. I knew the Louisiana purchase would come up at some yeah, point hello. in this. <laughs> so I, I didn't mention it before. So in 1800, Spain traded the territory to France, but it didn't stay French for long. As in 1803, Napoleon sold the Louisiana territory to the U.S. Neither Spain nor France had been able to convince large numbers of their citizens to come and settle in the Louisiana Territory. Yeah, because like, it's, it's a swamp. It's literally on the other side of the fucking world. And it's a swamp, <laughs> I think. Yeah, they're like, no, we're going to stay here. Like, it's, Barcelona's pretty nice. We, we like it here. No, no, they mean, um, oh, that's oh, what I'm no, saying. They right. could, they Spain couldn't, nor France. They yeah, couldn't, yeah. Right. They're like, thinking Americans. They're like, Paris is pretty cool. I don't feel like. I want to go to Louisiana. I don't feel like living in a swamp. Thank you. Uh, so it had remained largely unexplored and undeveloped. But it was not unsettled because, <laughs> no. of course, the indigenous peoples of the region, Native Americans, including the Shawnee, Quapaw, Osage, and Chickasaw, lived along mm. the Mississippi. Uh, these indigenous peoples, especially the Shawnee, were understandably angry about the settlers' encroachment on their land. And this is the story of everything white people have ever done. <laughs> no, it's just one of the stories. It's, well, it's not the story. No, no, no. I just mean it's it's the repeating story again and again and again. It's the same uh, story, um, different victims. <laughs> overall, white people, yes, but this is also the story of you know what happens when technology becomes larger than uh, an indigenous <laughs> culture. It's kind of easy to easier, not easy. 
Yeah, okay. Yeah, we will not get no. into the finer points of <laughs> American um, imperialism. Imper- but yeah, it's still happening, by the way. Oh, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately. All right. So the conflicts made overland travel dangerous for the settlers, and so the usual way to enter the area was to travel upstream from New Orleans along the Mississippi River and then up the Ohio River, Illinois River, Upper Mississippi or Missouri Rivers, or float downstream along the Ohio River or its tributaries. Now, um, Angela... So this thing, it's almost like an interstate highway. Oh, look! Uh, Angela <laughs> included a great picture. Wow, look at that. Look at I didn't all know those little tiny... That all connect with all the Mississippi. All to the Mississippi. Yep. I did not know that. It's like a giant... Well, it's a river it, basin, it is right? Like, mm-hmm. It is like a fucking interstate highway. It is. Look at it that. Doesn't it look like that? Well, the Mississippi River forms the border of all of mm-hmm. those states. It also forms the border of uh, whether your call station's letter begins with a K or a W. That's so funny, especially considering it's not even halfway through the states east to west. It's, it's much cl- more close to the east. It is, but it's close it's enough. It's close-ish. Yeah, Plus, close I'm enough. sure population-wise, you know, I've never looked at a breakdown of the population of the United States east versus west of the Mississippi. I would imagine the east has probably got it not nearly as much as back then. But ha- even in modern times, I bet more people in the U.S. live east of the Mississippi. What do you think? Yes, but in the last hundred years, the oh, that, that ratio has oh, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Way with more that. people have gone west. I agree with that. So, but it's it's funny because I still feel like there's a a massive cultural difference between east coast midwest west coast well there is because all of these different parts of america were settled at different times Mm -hmm. i mean and created their own cultures exactly well and then even the south and the north and all that stuff i mean people who were settling in the southwest literally were doing so because the government said for five dollars you can have this plot of land they're Mm -hmm. like we just want to be on our own right and so that, that sense of attitude i think of has carried on probably throughout that region. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's that's. Pr- I thought that was a pretty cool picture. It is. I didn't know it was... I mean, it's just literally it like veins. A, it veins looks like a blood that, system. Yes. Yeah, like, uh, like veins. But it our... runs throughout the entire country. Mm-hmm. Or at least half of it. Yeah. Yeah, feeding into the um, Mississippi River. Mm-hmm. All right, so boats moving upstream had to be paddled or pulled or driven by steam power while boats moving downstream could just float with the current. In some areas, animals such as horses or mules were used to pull the boats upstream. Oh, what a shitty job for an animal. But most locomotion proceeded under manpower or steam power. Sure. Steam-powered engines were, of course, preferred, but weren't necessarily widely available to poor settlers, trappers, or traders. Many of these people used rafts or canoes for travel. Yeah. It's so funny. I feel like in every historical um, North American story, fur traders and trappers come <laughs> well, yeah, up at yeah. some point. Of course, of course they do. All the fur traders. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. At this time, the Shawnee were led by a chief named Tecumseh. Now, that's a name I've actually heard. Have you? Yes, because a uh, Civil War general for uh, the Union, William Tecumseh Sherman. That's probably where you put that it, name. His nickname was Tecumseh. No, Tecumseh, I believe, was his middle name. His real middle name? Yeah. Was he himself an indigenous person? I'm or? not. He might have been to or like a a descendant to like a degree, but no, he was a Union general. Oh, okay, I've heard of Tecumseh as mm-hmm. like a a native tribal leader. Yeah, ask the people of Georgia about uh, <clears throat> William Tecumseh Sherman. 
<laughs> well, if he was Union, I think we know what people in the Deep South might think of him. But All right. So the Shawnee were led by a chief named Tecumseh and his brother, a religious leader called the Prophet. <laughs> That's a okay. That's a badass name to have. I feel like wasn't there a, a prophet or something in The Walking Dead? That sounds like a character in The Walking Dead. I know there's Jesus, something, but uh, I don't know. But 200 years ago, where nobody knew anybody, like yeah, you could like I'm, I'm the, the prophet. prophet. Ooh, I'd love to. I, that's if I if I had to time travel 200 years ago, I'd be like, I'm I, the prophet. I would have been a. Uh, uh, religious grifter 200 years ago. That would have been the easiest living in the world. Sadly, I think it'd be pretty easy today, too. It's, it's, it's easier today, I think, but the, a lot of shame comes with it. Yeah. Whereas 200 years ago, it's like, hey, you're kind of on your own. <laughs> Tecumseh sought a military alliance with the other tribes for the purpose of driving out all of the settlers. Sure. Something that his people had long wanted. Tecumseh, whose name meant Panther Across the Sky... Hence that, uh, oh, that's right, yeah. So the burial. Look at, the, look at that. I know. The burial beer that I'm drinking has, like, the artwork by uh, David Paul Seymour is, I'll have to, t- I'll we'll have to, have to take a picture. Yes. We'll have to tweet um, that out. Yeah. is It looks like a Black Panther yeah. with, like, blood or something. It, it looks like a Black Panther about to kill something. Yes. Uh, a or very, someone. A very attacking Black Panther. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to a docile one. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> you know all those docile uh, black panthers. Uh, meaning a, no, meaning a literal animal black panther, mm-hmm. not like a black power black panther. Or that, two different meanings. Anyway, <laughs> Tecumseh's name meant panther across the, the sky uh, in his native language. He was a skilled and experienced leader. His brother, the prophet, was also skilled and considered a very strong shaman. I hope so, if you're calling yourself the prophet. Tecumseh himself was also considered to have special powers. And in December of 1809, he sent the prophet alone into the woods to make sacred slabs. Very Moses in the Ten Commandments, right? There were intricate instructions given for how the slabs should appear and the significance of the design. I apologize to Angel. She, like included all this awesome description of this, and I kind of distilled it down. Um, symbols were inscribed on the slabs, and there were two meanings given to their significance. So Tecumseh came up with two stories on this. One was what they told the white people, <laughs> and the other was what it really meant. Smart plan, Tecumseh's oh, part. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the, the one for the white people, so in other words, if someone wanted to know what it meant and were white you will be scalped right well yeah it, it was like oh these are symbols to guide us to a happy afterlife like very very like, subtle you can imagine like white people very, totally very subtle dig yeah. oh the afterlife it must be so good oh my god <laughs> well the real meaning was actually directions for a native insurgency against the white settlers so um yeah it, it was it's actually pretty cool. I like that afterlife you want so bad. We can make that happen for <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, let's let's uh <laughs> let's see what we can do about that. So Tecumseh's sacred slabs were to function as a timekeeping device for the allied tribes and as a means to ensure that attacks on the settlers were launched simultaneously, right? It's like wait for the high sign. So once an agreed upon signal was given, the tribes were to proceed to Fort Malden, a British fort on the north side of Lake Erie. Then the attack would start and the settlers would be driven out. So it's like, we're all going to 
be in this together and here's our secret. It was like Playing a, it was like a updated and also kind of secret version of a battle flag. Yeah. Or, oh, is that what battle flags were? Like they, yeah, there they was signal instructions back in the day. Like okay. you, you'll see this in the movie, uh, in the Mel Gibson classic. The Patriot? No. Oh. Braveheart. Oh. The Patriot, the Patriot was terrible. <laughs> But, uh, I, just, I just hate Mel Gibson. But so. in all those gigantic wars that were fought back in the mm-hmm. day, hand to hand, like they would have people put up flags for, okay, this is archery. This is, oh, okay. you know, this is uh, infantry. This mm-hmm. is, you know, so they, to signal like who was going to get into the fight. So, okay. So they, they did it in a very uh, <laughs> pretty cool way. They're like, yeah. We'll tell the people we hate this. Yeah. We'll all know it means this. Well, it, what it reminds me of is on like Parks and Rec, there was the um, uh, local tribal leader who occasionally would want to get something done. And so, uh, or, or let me see, I'm trying to think of like one example. At any rate, there was like they thought there was a curse on people started spreading rumor that there was a curse on their fall festival or whatever. And she had the uh, local tribal leader come and do like a lifting of the curse (laughs) ceremony to just to like get things moving along. And he they show his like uh, uh, subtitles of what he's actually saying in this little ritual that he's pretending to do. And he's saying words. These are just fake words that I'm saying. (laughs) And like basically just. BSing the white man, which is exactly what works. (laughs) Like, look at these people. They'll believe anything. Yes. I think, in fact, I think the end of it was doobie, doobie, doo. And they showed the translation. It was doobie, doobie, doo. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, So... They, were, they would attack, the settlers would be driven out. Okay. Many tribes had received the slabs and promised to attack once the signal was given, and they were diligently following the instructions received from Tecumseh. Meanwhile, the settlers and other unallied tribes went on with their lives. Boats and rafts carrying people and cargo continued to move up and down the Mississippi, carrying furs and animal hides downstream, and trade and luxury goods upstream. Settlers hoping for new farmland went upstream with their families and animals, as did merchants and missionaries. Always with the missionaries. Always. Other merchants... (laughs) That sounded terrible. (laughs) Anyway. Other merchants and farmers floated downstream to sell their goods or to purchase supplies unavailable in their settlements. And this river trade went on 24-7, 365 days a year. Absolutely. In all weather conditions. And that's how the situation stood on December 16th, 1811, when the disaster started taking place. So on December 16th, 1811, the first of the three major earthquakes and their aftershocks occurred. John Bradbury, a passenger on a steam-powered boat, which had moored near a small island, was awakened by the earthquake. He later wrote, and there's going to be a lot of quotes here, so, um, quote, By the time we could get to our fire, which was on a large flag, meaning a stone, uh, in the stern of the boat, the shock had ceased. But immediately the perpendicular banks, both above and below us, so the river banks, right, began to fall into the river in such vast masses as nearly to sink our boat by the swell they occasioned. And our patron, who seemed more terrified even than the men, began to cry out, Oh mon Dieu, nous parions. 
Which Very nice. Would, thank you. Which translated would mean roughly, "Oh my God, we're going to die." <laughs> so, sounds but about it sounds right. it sounds more romantic in French. It oh does. Dieu, <laughs> sounds less morbid, right? <laughs> yeah. So Bradbury and a fellow passenger named Mister Bridge. Deci- Remember, this is all coming from like eighteen eleven diaries and stuff. So, but. He decided to go, they decided to go ashore the small island to which they were moored, and they sent some of the boat crew with candles, again, 1811, to see if the, imagine going, okay, so <laughs> going through an earthquake right now would be awful. Imagine going through an earthquake in 1811. No, thanks. I, I don't want to go through 1811 at all. Anything. For anything. Anything. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm completely fine with the 21st century. <laughs> so the boat crew with their little candles the candle. in the middle of an earthquake. Hello, hello, is anybody there? Hello, <laughs> hello. Yeah, and and then and then it's the uh, then it's all the tribes. Then they scalp them all, and they're like, "Oh, we're here." <laughs> well, I would imagine in the middle of an earthquake, everyone is otherwise preoccupied. Hey, but they're pretty battle hardened, those guys. Okay, <laughs> I don't know how to comment on that. So they're like earthquake, earthquake, whatever. We have, <laughs> some, we have some direct. We have some white people to kill. Um. So, with candles to see if the bank to which they were tied had separated from the island. So, literally, like, um... Like the island almost collapsed. Maybe (laughs) where we think we're tied to is no longer land. Yeah, it's not there anymore. It could have just disappeared. Does anybody have a map? Because we need to update it. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) This, This little piece isn't there anymore. The boat crew returned terrified, reporting that the bank had not separated, but that there was a chasm, which was difficult to pass. This is what I think of when I think of, like, horror earthquake is, like, the earth opens up and there's just, like, a huge... Sometimes it does. I know. I mean, a freaking, uh, what is that called, uh... Like on the highways, like when a road will suddenly open up, like a it happens, sinkhole. Yes, oh, I mean sinkholes that, are pretty terrifying. Yeah, that yeah. happens happens in Florida a lot. Yes, that's sinkholes are kind of one of my little secret fears. We, we have not done a sinkhole. We haven't because they're usually very localized. Mm-hmm. Un- I mean, unfortunately, they can be awful. Like, um, yes, they can. Uh, be. I want to say like maybe 10, 12 years ago, there was a sinkhole in Florida that literally a guy died in his sleep because mm-hmm. he was just sleeping where the sinkhole was and. It swallowed him up and killed him. Yeah, that's... Uh... Uh, I know. Nature is metal, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> Do they say that? <laughs> well, there's that Twitter account, Nature is Metal. You know that, right? Yes. Okay. All right. So, uh, there was the chasm. It was difficult to pass. So, Bradbury, Mr. Bridge, and the patron went ashore. After measuring the chasm, they determined that it was approximately... Four feet wide and 80 yards long. Uh, yeah, so 240 feet long. That's not going to work. And that the bank had fallen into the river at each end. Everyone aboard the boat decided to go ashore as they were afraid of being crushed by falling banks or by falling trees, which they could hear loudly snapping during the earthquake. They spent the night on the shore where, by daylight, Bradbury had counted so from the evening when the earthquake struck through the night, he counted 27 aftershocks. And here's the weird thing. Um, we're talking about fallen trees, mm-hmm. which we don't necessarily think of in modern day earthquakes. We think of falling buildings. Mm-hmm. 
but at this time... It was much more undeveloped land. It it was not developed really at all. Well, and that probably led to, honestly, a lot fewer casualties. I mean, we don't have a a body count, but probably fewer casualties than today. Who knows? But that would have been the equivalence to today back then, like a a tree fell on somebody. Right, yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. instead of a building. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. A building collapse, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so in his, in, this is in Bradbury's own words, they quote, still found the chasm so that it might be passed. The river was covered with foam and drift timber and had risen considerably. (laughs) None of those things are good. But our boat was safe. Whilst we were watching till the light became sufficient for us to embark, two canoes floated down the river, in one of which we could perceive some Indian corn and some clothes. We considered this as a melancholy proof that some of the boats we passed the preceding day had perished. Our conjecture, our conjectures were afterwards confirmed as three had been overwhelmed and all on board perished. Mm. Unfortunately for Bradbury and his companions, another large shock occurred as the crew were preparing to unmoor the boat. Now, a uh, side note, um, we haven't mentioned... Richter scale magnitude. That's because nobody it knows. It probably doesn't exist. <laughs> no, it then. doesn't exist, and it was yeah. not measured. Um, it's estimated that these were all between like seven and eight on the Richter scale. Yeah. The two crewmen removing the fastenings panicked and ran onto the island, but a tree fell directly in front of them and forced them to stop. The bank then began falling into the river. I still don't like just the pi- picturing that visually. A riverbank fall, like collapsing into the river itself. So the crew ran back to the boat and unmoored it, then jumped in. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess we ride this out. The bank then, or sorry, uh, the boat was now back on the river and rapidly approaching a section called the Chanel du Diable, which I imagine means the Devil's I was going to say, I, I heard Diablo in uh, there, so that, that uh, means devil. I think so. A difficult stretch made dangerous by planters, which are snags or tree trunks in the river channel. The area looked impassable because the planters had caught all of the broken trees and driftwoods. Just all, all, um, it's essentially like debris. Bu- right. It's essentially like building debris. up a wall. Yeah. Like a dam of mm-hmm. debris, right? Bradbury noticed that the crew and the patron were too terrified to think clearly. So he convinced them to stop for breakfast before they reached the channel. You know what? It's a good time for breakfast. Let's just take a time out here. (laughs) I say, we have some bacon and eggs. But they would have had to have had it with them because there's no no 7-Eleven to go to. (laughs) Or they would have had it. Like, we're going to stop on the shoreline that hasn't broken off yet. We're all going to go hunting. And 12 hours from now, we'll eat. And then maybe we'll leave. Right. If the island hasn't sunken into the... This is... Yeah. I guess they had provisions because while breakfast was being cooked, Bradbury and the patron walked down the island to view the channel and determine the safest way through. The two men were able to determine a course, but more shocks came with such force that the two had trouble even just keeping their footing. So, oh my God. Imagine trying to like, okay, how are we going to get out of this? Oh, okay. <laughs> stay steady. The ground's still quaking. After re-embarking, the crew managed to steer the boat safely through the channel, much to their relief. They continued on the river until 11 a.m. when another large shock hit. Remember, this is just Jesus. like constant. Sending more of the riverbank and many large trees into the river. The crew again became terrified and insisted on mooring the boat and spending the rest of the day ashore. 
At 3 p.m., they saw another empty canoe passing by. Can you imagine all, every empty canoe is just like, well, there were people in that. There was. But, well, because even the boats, like, because of the swells, probably a lot of people drowned. Uh, yeah. I you mean, know, that's, I guess that's the idea. After this series of quakes. What a fucking, what a shit show. I know. Well, and, and talk about being totally unprepared for something like this happening. Um, so December 17th at noon came another severe quake. But the boat seems, Bradbury's boat, seems to have remained on the river this time. Um, at four o'clock that afternoon, the boat came within sight of a log house. And this is a description from Bradbury, quote, uh, so the house was, quote, a little above the lower Chickasaw Bluffs. More than 20 people came out as soon as they discovered us and when within hearing, earnestly entreated us to come ashore. I found them almost distracted with fear that they were composed of several families who had collected in order that they might pray together. They informed me that the greatest part of the inhabitants in the neighborhood had fled to the hills on the opposite side of the river for safety, and that during the shock about sunrise on the 16th, a chasm had opened on the sandbar opposite the bluffs below, and on closing again, had thrown the water to the height of a tall tree. That just all... I don't... I don't want any part of any of that. That just all sounds I, I can I can kind of follow that, because I've, I've played, I I, I've played uh, Red Dead Redemption both games it takes 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 place in the in the west do you mean like the old timey sort of talk of, yes the, the older english yeah well uh, you see here there was a chasm <laughs> that opened up across the sandbar across from the ways of the chasm <laughs> i don't know you have perfect memory <laughs> <laughs> bradbury continued through the water up 10 feet high <laughs> Are you, Sorry. Are you, are you done? Uh, maybe. Okay. <laughs> Bradbury continued to float down the river, documenting the dates and times of the earthquakes as he went. Uh, these are all the shocks, right? On This is on December 25th. Uh, that he wrote, quote, Monsieur Lompre overtook us, and we encamped together in the evening. It appeared from his account that at New Madrid, the shock had been extremely violent. The greatest part of the houses had been rendered uninhabitable, although being constructed of timber and framed together, they were better calculated to withstand the shocks than buildings of brick or stone. Found that interesting. The greatest part of the plain on which the town was situated was become a lake, and the houses deserted. So basically, just it got flooded. Yeah. Monsieur Longpre's account was corroborated by a letter from Eliza Bryan, a settler in the New Madrid era. And so this is a long quote from um, Eliza's accounts. Quote, On the 16th of December, 1811, about 2 o'clock a.m., we were visited by a violent shock of an earthquake, accompanied by a few, sorry, by a very awful noise resembling loud but distant thunder, but more hoarse and vibrating, which was followed in a few minutes by the complete saturation of the atmosphere with sulfurous vapor, causing total darkness. Interesting. We'll get back to that. Okay. The screams of the affrighted inhabitants running to and fro, not knowing where to go or what to do, the cries of the fowls and beasts of every species, the cracking of trees falling and the roaring of the Mississippi, the current of which was retrograde for a few minutes, owing as is is supposed to an eruption in its bed. So it flowed backwards temporarily. Yeah, I know. 
formed a scene truly horrible. There were several shocks of a day, but lighter ones than those already mentioned, until the 23rd of January, 1812, when one occurred as violent as the severest of the former ones, that's the second one, accompanied by the same phenomena as the former. From this time until the 4th of February, the earth was in continual agitation, visibly waving as a gentle sea the land. On the 7th, about 4 o'clock a.m., a concussion took place so much more violent than those which had preceded it that it was denominated the, the hard shock. At first, the Mississippi seemed to recede from its banks. That's no good. And its water, water gathered up like a mountain, leaving for a moment many boats, which were here on their way to New Orleans, on the bare sand, in which time the poor sailors made their escape from them. It then, rising 15 or 20 feet perpendicularly and expanding as it were at the same moment the banks were overflowed with a retrograde current rapid as a torrent the boats which before had been left on the sand were now torn from their moorings and a sudden and suddenly driven up a little creek at the mouth of which they laid to the distance in some instances of nearly a quarter of a mile the river falling immediately as rapidly as it had risen, receded within its banks against, again, was, <laughs> this is so long to read. <laughs> I'm not complaining. I'm just saying I'm no Phoebe judge. She reads so beautifully and I'm like stumbling over every word. Okay. Where did I stop? <laughs> Shit. Okay. I, I, I don't think that was it. Now. The river falling immediately. It was such violence that it took with it. Okay. The river falling immediately, as rapid as it had risen, receded within its banks again with such violence that it took with it whole groves of young cottonwood trees, which lodged its borders. They were broken off with such regularity in some instances that persons who had not witnessed the fact would be difficultly persuaded that it has not been the work of art. A great piece, a great, sorry, a great many fish were left on the banks. Ooh. The river, she didn't say, I said, the river was literally covered with the wrecks of boats. The earth was horribly torn to pieces. Surface of hundreds of acres was from time to time covered over of various depths by the sand which issued from the fissures, some of which closed up immediately after they had vomited forth their sand and water. In some places, however, there was a substance somewhat resembling coal or impure stone coal thrown up with the sand. The site of this town was evidently settled down at least 15 feet. Holy shit. I think uh, little Eliza needs to be a like a poet or something. She, <laughs> I wonder if that's just how she might have been back in the day. things back then. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that all sounds horrible it doesn't sound good no another traveler daniel bettinger reported from near the village of little prairie he and a friend dr foster were traveling in a larger boat equipped with skiffs they were anxious to see if the inhabitants of little prairie were injured so they got into the skiffs and approached the town ahead of the larger vessels they were unable to land the town as the banks were quote all broken to pieces, and huge masses were, at short intervals, tumbling into the river. Again, literally land, oh, that was end quote, literally land, um, collapsing into the water. That's just, that's wild. 
Calling aloud, they were answered by a man who told them that everyone except himself had fled the village and gone into the country to the west. So people are just trying to run away. The houses were, quote, much injured. The only brick chimney in the place entirely demolished, end quote. The earth was, quote, broken in many places and the openings filled with water, end quote. That evening, they came near an island designated as, imaginatively, Island Number 23. They attempted a landing and discovered that, and this is in their words, quote, every part of the beach, as well as the high land, had been much rent and torn to pieces. Numerous springs or holes remained, which all had the appearance of having discharged large quantities of water, sand, mud, and pieces of wood which in color and weight greatly resembled mineral coals. That's similar to what Eliza said. Some specimens were brought away, end quote. Here is, there were no pictures, obviously. This is 1811, 1812. Here's a wood carving image, depiction. That <laughs> looks pretty tragic. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Jesus. <laughs> This is in the middle. This is in the middle of the United States, too. That's not exactly known as like an earthquake hotbed. Especially earthquakes of this magnitude. Yes. And so constant and all those aftershocks, too. So the exact death toll, as we said, of this massive series of earthquakes is unknown because the area was very sparsely settled. Written record keeping by both the settlers and the native peoples just... It just wasn't a thing as much back then, and especially because it was um, not densely populated. Uh, So neither the Native American villages nor the newly founded settlements had multi-story stone or brick buildings, which did help, undoubtedly, right? The New Madrid earthquakes, in addition to damaging many, many settlers and Native Americans' homes... Also called topographical changes, also caused topographical changes in the affected areas. So areas which had previously been low-lying bayous were raised, while other areas suffered subsidence. So water, uh, this is actually, I'm sure, beautiful today, but not at the time. Waterfalls from uplift formed on parts of the Mississippi, mm. and it'd be actually really interesting <clears throat> to go see some of those waterfalls. Yeah. Right? And Real Real Foot Lake was formed when several streams were dammed. Many sand blows had formed because of the ground liquefaction caused by the shaking and the small mounds and hills that they had made were very numerous. So I had to look up sand blow. And it's also called a sand volcano and it's caused when sand is ejected to the surface Hmm. of the earth from a central point like, like because of a... An earthquake. Um, here is a satellite image. All of the white is sand blows in oh, the air. Wow. Yeah, that's they're everywhere. Uh, it looks like its own little river, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fallen trees and caved-in stream banks, plus ground cracks and water-filled depressions, were also abundant. In the 1870s, so this would have been like 60 years after, a local inhabitant of the area, Godfrey Lesieux, <laughs> lots of. <laughs> Lots of great opportunities for my French accent. Wrote an account of the earthquake series in response to questions from a Missouri state geologist. Monsieur Lucieux. <laughs> I love that she wrote that. Monsieur Lucieux wrote, quote, Slight shocks after this, meaning the first two earthquakes, 
continued until the 17th of February, when there was another very severe one, having the same effects as the others, causing great injury to the land by forming more extensive fissures, sinking highlands and forming it into lakes, making deep lakes dry, and many of these are now under cultivation. The damaged and torn up portions of the country embraced a circumference of not more than 150 miles, taking the old town of Little Prairie as the center. A very large extent of country on either side of Little River, also on both sides of the St. Francois River, River, in this state and Arkansas, and on the Real Foot Bayou in Tennessee was sunk below its former elevation about 10 feet thus rendering the section of country entirely unfit for cultivation, end quote. Um, He further added, in response to specific questions from a Professor Hager, quote, Earthquakes in this region of the country mentioned in my former communications were never known, nor are there any signs left on the surface of the earth, as in that of 1811 and 1812, to indicate that there had ever been any. And in many conversations with the old men of several tribes, Shawnees, Delawares, and Cherokees, all said they had no traditionary account that earthquakes had ever visited the country before. Second, with regard to the charcoal mentioned, it may be the kind you mentioned, Albertine or solidified asphaltium. The peculiar odor of the coal induced the belief that it was impregnated with sulfur. Remember when Mm -hmm. she mentioned that? um, Eliza mentioned that? Yet it may have been the order order of petroleum. Mm-hmm. So it may have been the smell of gas. Um, its smell was unknown to us at this period, right? They didn't use gas at that point. Um, third, the water thrown up during the eruption of the land waves was lukewarm. So warm indeed as to produce no chilly sensation while wading and swimming through it. End quote. Jeez. Oh, an anonymous letter, supposed to be written from an inhabitant of New Madrid to a friend in Lexington, Kentucky, gave the account of a neighbor, a Captain George Ruddle. Captain Ruddle's family ran out of their house and assembled in a field after one of the earthquakes. In about 15 minutes after this shock, the water was around them and waist deep. In a, like, in a field. Yeah. A field, just, an yeah. open field, and now you're in waist deep water. Like, what the fuck? Motherfucker, what the fuck? Uh, the family waited to higher ground with the captain leading them, frequently falling into cracks in the ground hidden in the muddy, muddy water. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. They waited eight miles before reaching oh dry land. God. They must the, have been fucking exhausted. Uh, at, at, that, at the very least, yeah. Uh, with the earth continuing to spew sand, coal, and water as they waited. This letter also reports that, quote, Again, using the direct quote um, account of the time. Seven Indians were swallowed up. One of them escaped. He says he was taken into the ground the depth of two trees in length, that the water came under him and threw him out again. He had to wait and swim four miles before he reached dry land. The Indian says the Shawano prophet has caused the earthquake to destroy the whites. Oh and could. <laughs> So now we're circling back a little, eh? Just a little bit. The prophet, remember? So the tribes allied with Shawnee chief Tecumseh did indeed believe that this was the great sign for their attack. And they did what they had previously agreed to do, go to Fort Malden and join the British. 
This action, coupled with the British invasion of the United States, helped precipitate the War of 1812. Mm-hmm. The British and their Native American allies lost the war, and Tecumseh was killed at the Battle of the Thames on October 5th, 1813. His apparent success at predicting the huge, unprecedented earthquake series later led to the myth of Tecumseh's Curse, which claims that Tecumseh spoke a curse that every U.S. president elected in a year ending with a zero would die violently. It was, I, I thought about it. It was 2016. It didn't... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Should I take that out? No. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, in reality, there is no ever evidence that Tecumseh. Well, I mean, he he, he could be reelected in twenty twenty. Ends with a zero. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> I'm not here to incite violence. <laughs> Just saying. <clears throat> the frequently mentioned smell of sulfur in these accounts caused at least one witness, the Doctor Foster, who had accompanied Daniel Bettinger to hypothesize that a volcanic eruption... So, okay, Mm -hmm. here's the thought, right? A volcanic eruption to the northwest of the Mississippi, which was then largely unexplored territory, right, had been the cause of the earthquakes. Now, in reality, the closest active volcano in North America was, and still is... Is it... What? Oh, Oh, Yellowstone. Yeah, Yellowstone, exactly, Mm -hmm. which is about 1,200 miles or 1,900 kilometers away. So, if a vol- uh, so a volcano, a volcano, <laughs> <laughs> volcano. If a volcano, volcano, volcano. If a volcano didn't cause, I like volcano way. better. I volcano. Think. Well, volcanic, not volcanic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Volcaniac. I don't know. Anyway, so it wasn't a volcano. What caused this earthquake? So it wasn't until the advent of modern geology over a century later that the cause of the new Madrid earthquakes was finally determined. So earthquakes, unless they're caused by fracking, right, which does happen. Especially, and and I was, I was decided not to throw that in, but especially in that part of the country nowadays. Oh, now, yeah. They always happen because of fracking, pretty much. But that clearly was not going on in 1811. Not 200 years ago, no. Um... So aside from earthquakes that are caused by fracking today, they're rare outside of the tectonic plate boundary zones. So fault lines, basically, right? The Pacific Ring of Fire we've talked Mm -hmm. about. Uh, So after years of careful study, the U.S. Geological Survey, the USGS, finally determined that the New Madrid earthquakes of 1811 to 1812 were caused by a set of faults. They named the New Madrid Seismic Zone. The set of faults is ancient, having developed over 600 million years ago in a failed rift zone now in the middle of the North American continental plate. That's right, friends. In the middle of North America, there is a giant seismic fault fault zone. So you can kind of see where that all converges. There's Illinois, Indiana, exactly where it is. Exactly, yeah. Exactly where it is. And uh, the crust and how it's... I'm just doing a bunch of hand how it's, how it's crusting. How it's crusting, yes. You weren't taking the picture. You never take the picture. I don't... Uh, well. For my hand, I need to go back to the the words. You have to take the picture. I have the words. You can just set it down. Yeah, I mean, well, you know you that, right? you can just take it, too. Or you can just set it down. Right. 
Someone commented today that we have great chemistry. <laughs> I wonder if they still think so. Except for the paper. Except for the paper. <laughs> All right. Um, so for reasons currently unknown, movement along the rift zone stopped before the rifting was complete. The depression caused by the rift zone, which going to be so many words here. Okay. Was then filled by Paleozoic rock layers about 570 million years ago, somewhere between the Ediacaran era of the Precambrian Protozoic. I think I think Angela just put this in here to fuck me up. I bet she's making this up. No, I know she's not. Uh, the Precambrian Protozoic and the Cambrian era of the Paleozoic, i.e., about the time of the first multicellular life. I know she had did. I know she she didn't really, but it would have been funny if she had. All right. The Paleozoic rock layers were then themselves buried in the Mississippi embayment, which consists of marine sedimentary rocks 50 to 100 million years old, late Cretaceous to early Paleogene, and river sediments less than 5 million years old, or the Pliocene Epoch. Finally, the entire complex was buried in recent river sediments of 60,000 years ago to the current time, Pleistocene to now. Sure. How many times have I said we have just like smarty, smarty pants we have, uh, listeners yes. that we clearly can't keep up with at this point? <laughs> I, would, I would not have put any of those words into research. <laughs> Even like... A long like time whatever, ago. Like, super long time. Shit ago. happened. It was a while ago, tens of millions of years ago. But somewhere there's someone smart listening. Who knows what all that meant? Yes. Not just Angela. All right. And certainly not us. Yeah. No, well, we know it's not us. <laughs> Even with the extensive burial of the rift complex, it would be expected that experienced geologists would have noticed that the surface structures consist noticed the surface structures consistent with earthquake activity. So in other words, somebody looks at it now. And as an expert, it makes sense. But of course, back then, they had no idea. This is all new, um, especially in the like time scale of history. So additionally, the zone infrequently generates earthquakes, which means that many surface features are lost to erosion or human cultivation between series of earthquakes. The earliest earthquakes detected by paleoseismology... Talk about an interesting uh, field, huh? Happened in 2350 BC. So this was many years later. <laughs> it's quite a while ago. <laughs> yes. 4,000 years, right? Like mm-hmm. 4,000 years before mm-hmm. this. So the next set happened in 900 AD and then in 1450 and then in 1812. And we're going AD at this point. So, um, the so, long- so about every 600 years. Uh, well, there was there was a big difference between so 2350 BC to 980. That's a huge. No, that's a lot. Yeah, but then faster. You're right. Um, 900 to 1450, 1450 to 1812. The long interval between earthquakes and erosion of telltale surface features meant that even the Native American tribes who had lived in the area for centuries had no record of them. That's why, and, and we talked about that. They're like. Nobody had known about this, even um, the indigenous peoples to the area. To the uh, to this day, no Native American petroglyphs or oral accounts of early earlier earthquakes on the New Madrid seismic zone have been found. So it's all 
geological Mm -hmm. surveying that has shown that not um, oral traditions or uh, any records. Why does it always... Why do our noses always start recording? I don't know. I guess that's what I'm asking. I think it's the room. Oh, it must be the dust mites. I'm allergic to dust mites, I know. Anyway, this is riveting, I'm sure. (laughs) All right. Uh, The current understanding of the fault activity is that these magnitude 7 to 8 earthquakes occur in the seismic zone about every 500 years, as you said, starting 1,200 years ago. The USGS states that, quote, no one knows what causes New Madrid earthquakes, end quote. Although much research is currently being done to answer that question, because 500 years, I mean, we're 200 years to the next 500, right? Mm-hmm. From the 1811, 1812. One current hypothesis holds that the seismic zone may be shutting down, which is interesting, as little to no movement can be t- detected on the faults. The USGS monitors a seismic zone closely as an earthquake or earthquake series comparable to the earthquakes we just covered could be expected today to kill several thousand people and displace about 7.2 million people. It'd be majorly catastrophic today, yeah. yeah. According to a USGS computer simulation, if this were to happen again, the maximum horizontal ground velocity would be expected to be about 47.2 inches per second, or 3.9 feet per second. I think that means displacing, right? And would propagate outward from near Blytheville, Arkansas, as waves of movement uh, striking parts of Missouri, Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky, Alabama, Illinois, Indiana, and Michigan. Apologies to anyone who lives in any of those places, because that sounds awful. I hope that doesn't happen. Um, here's a side note from Angela. Uh, my my house was built about 100 years ago and is the standard for the time, all wood construction with lathe and plaster walls. We have propane heat. I do not think the walls and piping could move 3.9 feet per second without completely disintegrating. No. Yikes. So I guess this is of interest to Angela because... Sure. Of where she lives. I'm guessing she lives somewhere within this region. The current risk assessment stands at 25 to 40% chance of a magnitude that's 6 not good. plus. No, in the next 50 years. Yeah, that's not good. That's, yeah, that's uncomfortable. I don't like those odds. No, that's an uncomfortable amount. Some initiatives are underway to reduce the risk by reinforcing existing buildings and requiring new construction to take a possible new earthquake into account, but these have not been uniformly applied to most buildings in the potentially affected area, and they would not withstand a six-plus magnitude earthquake. On top of the fact, it costs a ton of money to do all that. Well, it does, yeah, that's true. Additionally, few area owners are even aware of an earthquake risk or of the need for insurance providing coverage for earthquake damage, which is excluded from most commercial and homeowners insurance products. So, if you live in any of the places we just mentioned, maybe look into this. <laughs> <laughs> maybe update your insurance policy. And that, my friends, was the story of the New Madrid earthquakes. That's bonkers. Well, Thank I was you, Angela. That was extremely well done. And I, I watched something on... Uh... 
some nature doc on YouTube maybe like a month ago, and they were talking about how these scientists about a hundred years ago discovered like all these uh, fish fossils like in Oklahoma and stuff, and they're like, why are these things here? And then they went further and further, did a whole geological survey. It's like this part of Earth or the United States mm-hmm. is what like used to be underwater. Yeah. Well, that the Earth has changed massively. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're we're saying obvious things, but still, the Earth has changed massively over time. Absolutely. Well, just think in this region, in this area, places that are now like like there's an entire lake that was not that was not there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, that's how our Earth got its shape is through all sorts of and seismic activity. Continues to get its shape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm... I, I would be a geologist, but it takes too long. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think... I'm trying to think... Like, earthquakes have always kind of terrified me a little bit, but I think it's because of where I grew up. Earthquakes weren't really a thing. Yeah, I've never lived anywhere where... Yeah. That was I, something you dealt with. And I think you always worry about the thing that you're not used to. So, like, sure. I'm used to hurricanes, so they don't scare me a whole lot because I, I get them. I know how they work, and, and I know what you need to do to be careful. Um, an earthquake would be pretty... Well, I mean, it literally comes uh, out of nowhere. There's yeah. no... They there's have very, some th- now there's pre-warning. some warning. You know, you get maybe a thirty second head start, which hey, that's that's quite a oh, bit. Yes, it's something. But uh for the most part, you know. So earthquakes earthquakes scare me a little bit because of that plus sure. it's kinda um, scary that the goddamn earth is moving. Oh well, yes. Like <laughs> standing in an open field and then you're waist then deep you're, in water. Then you've what got to wade then you've got to wade eight, eight miles. miles. The fuck? That's not even. That's not. And and all you had to eat for breakfast was like a grain of rice, and you still, (laughs) you still made it somehow. Yeah, yeah, no thanks. Man. No thanks, nineteenth century. You can go. (laughs) You can go fuck yourself. Although I'm not sure how the twenty first is panning out. It's better. It is better as a whole. Yeah. As a whole, you're correct. Yeah, it's, it's it better. is better. No, you're right. It's better. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have to go. I didn't have to go hunt today so That's I could eat. True. <laughs> That's true. Wow, that was really well done, Angela. That was yes, very well done. Thank you very much. Yes, yes. Thank you to everybody who sends in research. Um, we'll continue to. <laughs> we, and we've still got more to go. Oh, yes, we do. Absolutely. Um, for those who don't give a shit, goodbye. Um, for anyone who might, <laughs> should we do the Q and A? Uh, yeah, why not? So yeah. These questions are from Emma. Okay. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. It's E M A. So I think Emma or Emma. Um, so she has uh like three or four questions okay. here. So yeah. Uh, question number one: Where did you meet? Have we met? We've mentioned this. Yeah, we did mention it recently. Yeah. I think that we met online. Mm-hmm. Um, we met. And we, we physically met in uh, Apex. Yes, we did. Apex, North Carolina. <laughs> the peak of good living. <laughs> yes, indeed. Which was all shut down because it was July third. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> and the entire downtown area was shut down for the Fourth of July. Um, but no, we met on. You know, it's probably kind of quaint. I don't even know if it's still up and running. We we met on OK Cupid. 
I have no idea. I've not been on that site since we met. Exactly. Same. <laughs> so. Same. Um, that was back. I mean, we're we're going on seven years now. I know. My God. I know. Um, I can't believe it was that long ago. I know. And like apps weren't at quite as much of a thing. Well, we didn't even have smartphones. No, back then. not when we met. Yeah, neither of us. No. And we were yeah we were very late adopters just to uh, smartphones. But Tinder was still just a hookup app. Now lots of relationships start on t- mm-hmm. Tinder. So. But yeah, we met on OkCupid. Yes, we did. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I was LP and 45 collector. Yes, you were. <laughs> That's a nice green name. Mm-hmm. What was yours? I have no idea. Was it, oh, was it ye- your your usual nickname? It might have been. Yeah. I don't, I honestly don't remember. I do remember that you were <laughs> LP and 45 collector. I was almost Finn's, fans ga- Finn's fan gal, which you would not have uh, I might responded have. to. Knows? You were pretty cute. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> Um, she says, next one is not a personal one, but I'm interested in it. If you could describe America's tax system with one <laughs> sentence, what would it be? Uh, fucked. That's, well, she said one sentence. I, I was thinking one word. Uh, you, you'd be better to answer this question I was going to say, I think she might be addressing it to me. Yeah. <laughs> the tax professional. Maybe. Maybe. This is a tough one because I would say this might be something along the lines of somewhat well-intentioned, always convoluted, incredibly inefficient. Um, Sounds right. Yeah. yeah. I know. It just distracts me so much when you tidy. <laughs> we have such good chemistry. Don't we? Um, yeah, that's I, I. I could go on about our tax system. I will not for the sake everyone's sake, but I guess that would be like so. So yeah, um, doesn't, sometimes doesn't, doesn't well-meaning, work. always inefficient. I mean, it just it just is. And part of a an effective taxation system is that it's efficient. We're not efficient. We try to be equitable. It works sometimes. It really doesn't other times. No, whatever. All right. <laughs> Where did you get your cats? Plus their age, favorite <laughs> toys, and stuff. <laughs> we actually got both of our cats at the same place. Cat angels. Mm-hmm. If you live in the Triangle area of Raleigh uh, or of North Carolina, um, Carrie, they're in Carrie. Cat angels rescue. Very weird people. Yes. But very well-meaning. Yes. And uh, we got Jesse, Jesse, who's seven years old mm-hmm. from there. Um, he, I think I've mentioned this before. His name was Hawkeye at the time after mm-hmm. Nash character. Um, I, but I knew I wanted to name him Jesse Pinkman, and it suits him so it well. It does, yes, it does. He is a Jesse Pinkman. Um, he was very aloof, and I was used to aloof Maine Coons. So I was like, oh, here's a low maintenance cat. Nope, nope, nope. He did a switcheroonie on me. He's Mister Clingy. <laughs> Um, D- Demetrius, uh, they he's literally three. Demi- no, no four. four. Demi- Aww, Demi's um, four. But uh, they literally they have like a big room that's full of uh, ten kittens, mm-hmm. twelve, whatever. It's quite a few. Yeah. And they'll sit you in the middle of the room, and you just get to. And Demetrius like immediately just hopped onto my lap and did not. He's like you. Yep. <laughs> I pick you. Mm-hmm. It worked. It did. Because we didn't get them that day because they said, come There's back. There's a cooling off period. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. They're like, you have to come back. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I and I did two days later, and same thing. He hopped right into my lap, and I'm like, "Well, I I guess this is the one." Mm-hmm. It's hard to imagine our lives without them. Our little boys. <laughs> their favorite toys. Um, they're these weird it's, little it depends. pet mice. Yeah. Uh, not not literal mice, mind you, fake little toy yeah, mice. I think they know that they like. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. We don't. Uh, Live we don't, mice. We don't release real mice in our house so they can play with them. <laughs> um, we call them mousy. It's, oh, you playing with mousy? Yes, we're crazy cat people. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Um, that's probably and each other. They they like to really get into scrappy little fights with each yes, other. Yes, they do. So yeah. Got into one earlier today. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> And this is this is a great question, super random, but what are your favorite snacks? Okay, it's beef, beef jerky. jerky for you. <laughs> <laughs> or Slim Jims, I mean, it's kind of the same thing, but yeah. Slim, well, quote beef jerky. <laughs> Processed meat. <laughs> Processed meat sticks. <laughs> yes, yes, um, that's not something. I some, am a connoisseur. Yes, that's. There are so many things I didn't learn about you until it was too late. <laughs> and I think you... Like that I could literally spend all day in a beef jerky store? Yes. <laughs> I I think that you pulled one over on me a little bit. I on did. That. Yeah. Of course I did. <laughs> but it's too late to back out now. It is. <laughs> oh, it is. Um, what's my favorite snack? I Crack just... chips. Yeah, I'm, I was gonna say it's, it's. I mean, you're not much of a snacker. You, you, not hugely no. so, I you, guess. You eat. I eat food. I constantly snack. <laughs> yes, you do. I'm a meal eater. You are a snacker. Mm-hmm. I'm that a grazer. True. You are a grazer. Absolutely. There are days some on end sometimes that you don't eat a meal. You just eat. It's not like a day or two. Like, whatever. <laughs> Chunky soup that counts as a meal. Okay. <laughs> Well, soup that soup. eats like a meal. Exactly. There you go. Oh <laughs> uh, well, and I hope that you felt that was worth answering. <laughs> yeah. She's probably not listening anymore. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I stopped listening like thirty minutes ago when you couldn't read. Oh, oh. Yeah, okay. I, I've I've never heard of. Were they six to seven or seven to eight? Seven to eight. Seven to eight. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've never heard of that magnitude earthquake uh, in the, the Midwest. Right. Like it just I know. doesn't. It doesn't Tornadoes happen. Tornadoes is what you associate Tornadoes, with yeah. the Midwest. Absolutely. You know, not. Although I will say, could you imagine if you lived in an area that was prone to tornadoes and earthquakes? Oh my God. Like, what the fuck? Just move out of Missouri. <laughs> yeah, like, like nobody oh, would no. live there. <laughs> like stop it. We had. I'm trying to think because I lived in Southern Indiana for a little bit as a kid. Um, but I, I remember tornado issues. I do not remember any earthquake issues. Yeah, it's, it's just not, well, I don't know. Yeah. I never lived, yeah, never lived in a place where earthquakes were an issue. I mean, from what I understand, if you live out in the West Coast, that's kind of just a thing. That's, you get used to the yeah, yeah. small ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and fortunately, the big ones don't come around that often. Um, speaking of the West Coast, we should mention, um... The anniversary of Mount St. Helens ex- yes. exploding. That's not the right word. Erupting. Erupting. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, well, I mean, it's, it's literally the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the mountain literally does fucking explode. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the actual anniversary was I the last couple been, of days. 
May 18th, something like that. Yeah, uh-huh. my dates. What date Today is, is the 19th that we're recording oh, okay. this. Right. I feel like people were sharing it yesterday. Okay. But, um, so we missed that, that, that boat. Well, that, that, is, that has been one that I've been meaning to do, but just never got around to doing Well, it's a big one. It. Yeah. It's a big one. That's, you know, that's what we need to figure out what we're going to do for our third anniversary, which is July 17th, which I'm guessing like the 14th or something will be the closest date to. We have to do something for our third anniversary. Our third potiversary. Potiversary. <laughs> um... A lot of people have been saying that their favorite disaster is the Titanic. That is my pet peeve disaster that I hate. <laughs> because I'm an embittered 13-year-old down in my soul who just hates that that movie came out on my 13th birthday. <laughs> or around it. It was so fucking huge of a movie. It just was, eclipsed everything. I was everything. literally about to turn 21. <laughs> No, that's just creepy. It's always creepy when we go back that far. I was only a couple of weeks away. I was literally four weeks away. Our birthdays are four weeks apart. Our birthdays are four weeks apart. Um, But I did go see it in the theater. I saw it twice. I never saw it in the theater. I saw it on two VHS tapes. (laughs) Well, maybe that's the difference. I mean, trust me, if you saw it in the theater, the whole... Do the effects hold up today? I haven't seen it. I'm guessing it's James Cameron. It probably does. Don't, why why are you eye rolling? I'm not going to watch it again. <laughs> because I'm but never no, going to watch it again. But his out. movies, for the most part, unless you're talking about like Avatar, but for the most part, his movies hold up. The Terminator still holds up. I've never seen The Terminator. The, the first one? Mm-mm. Are you serious? No. Uh, great movie. Aliens will I've always seen hold. Alien. It's better than Alien. Okay. I have not seen Alien. I know that's a, that's, that's a 50-50 opinion, but yes, I'm taking Aliens over Alien. Okay. Because there was just one fucking alien and alien. There was just one. <laughs> there was just Is one. Is that really the difference between alien and aliens? It's a big difference, yeah. As far as like the as far as like the <laughs> drama and the, and the and the tension in the film, yeah. Is it Ridley? Mm-hmm. Is that her name? Yeah. Okay, Sigourney Weaver. Uh, and yeah, and and I watched a, I think it was YouTube doc or whatever that, uh, believe it or not, and they go in depth, and you kind of have to agree with it. That James Cameron is the biggest feminist uh, director in Hollywood history. Yeah. Well, well. All all of his hero characters, every single one of them. That does not a feminist make. It does not. They're all female. It makes a Hollywood feminist. I, I gave that caveat. A hominist. A hominist. <laughs> a heminist. A heminist. Wow! Anyone who uh, no one's listening. <laughs> no, no, we're talking to ourselves right now. Pretty no much. one is listening to this. And if you if you have made it this far, congratulations! Comment on our social media with like a little raised hand emoji, and we'll know what it means, and um, we'll send you like a little gold medal or something. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and you can print it out. Thank you, Allison. Though seriously, that was very well done, and we appreciate your research. Did I say Allison? I'm so sorry. (laughs) Angela, I'm sorry. I don't know why I called you Allison. Angela. Angela, Angela, Angela. So that's a good place to end it. (laughs) So, once again. I'm going to cut that out now. Once once again. I'm so sorry, Angela. I'm so sorry, Angela. (laughs) Angela, Angela, Angela. Now we might need, now it's getting on creepy. We might need to cut that out. <laughs> Sorry, Angela. So that was the New Madrid Earthquakes. Yes. Thank you very much to Angela. Angela. For, for providing the research. Yes. 
This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week. Maybe. Stop. <laughs>